Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, changemakers, and entrepreneurs. This is an insight episode where I share a few quick tips to help you take your work and mission to the next level. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this special at home edition of the Impact the World show. So, if we weren't all experiencing what we're experiencing in the world right now, I would have been sat here with a couple of great guests today filming. But because we have had to, like many of you, reschedule the activities that we have in the world and anything that involves other people. We thought, well, why not do a special at home edition of the podcast where we turn to you for any questions that you might want to put to me? And we did that through my newsletter at my leeharrisenergy.com website and also the monthly members community that I have there, the portal. We went out to all of you who are in those groups and we had some amazing questions. We're going to get through as many as we can for today's show. But before we do, I just want to say I hope that you're doing okay out there and looking after yourself. If you have kept up with any of my energy update work or you're in the portal community or you've seen any of the other free videos that we're putting out during this time, it really is a, a wave of energy and emotion and it's hitting everybody, even those people who you think might be more shielded from some of the economic or physical or health difficulties that this experience that we're all going through is, is bringing up. Even those people that I'm meeting and speaking to are also going through the shock waves of an experience like this. And then, of course, if any of you are directly hit, um, I, like many of you, have had people who have been going through the experiences of the virus, the economic hardships, a lot of the uncertainty that a time like this brings up. So. There's a lot to this experience, and until we're through it, a little further down the line, it's going to be hard to know exactly what the other side is going to look like, but it's going to be different. So with that in mind, we had some really well chosen and themed questions that came up from our, our audience members that we wanted to share with you today. So let's get started. I have a list here. And um, the first few we thought we'd do were slightly more personal questions to me. So somebody asked, and by the way, most people submitted questions anonymously. So we're, we're just going to go with that. Somebody asked, Lee, what are you watching right now? Well, we are currently watching the show Homeland, which Noah on our team recommended to me and Stephen. So we'd never seen it, even though it's you know started eight years ago. So we are going through seasons of Homeland right now. Um, we've also watched Ozark, and Stephen and I love Schitt's Creek. It's one of our favorite shows. No, I didn't say a rude word. If you know the show, uh, there is a very special spelling for Schitt's Creek. And if you haven't seen it, it's humorous, it's compassionate. And if you fancy an adrenaline ride, watch Homeland. But that's not for everybody, but it's working for us. Okay. Um, during this time, are you feeling more called to do your work or do you feel like you need to back away from it? Um, it's interesting because I've actually felt more called to do my work and any of you who are familiar with my work, you may know that I did a special coronavirus energy update mid-March and I never normally do a mid-month 
energy update, but I felt really compelled. I had a broadcast for our portal community, which we do on a Saturday once a month. And as soon as that was done, it was around the middle of March, and this was all just beginning to brew, um, I just felt really compelled to do the energy update. But at the same time, I felt deeply uncomfortable doing it. So discomfort for me is something I've come to understand is just part of the process. And a certain amount of discomfort will come up for you as a creative, as a healer, whatever you're doing in the world. But I felt compelled to walk more towards doing my work in the world right now. But I also, because of the heightened emotional state in the world, um, it can be challenging at times. And not just for me, for my team too. So, you know, we check in with each other, how's everyone doing? But I have to say my team have been amazing. Um, I literally threw that energy update at three of my team members with 24 hours notice and said to them, I'll edit this myself on iMovie, I'll do the notes if I have to, don't worry, I know you're not supposed to be working, it's a Sunday. And as usual, everyone in the team just jumped on board. So um, I think we've all felt grateful that we have something that we can do that helps people navigate these times, but it's definitely more edgy for sure. I think everybody's feeling that in, in every, every way. What are you missing the most during this time of isolation? Um, I'm, I'm missing my family, actually. My family are in England, um, and my dad is really not very well right now. He's been in hospital for a few weeks, and um, I miss them, even though I'm speaking to them on the phone. It's the first time that you know I'm not able to just jump on a plane if I need to, um, and because my family's dealing with a lot right now, it's hard to, 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 to have lost that freedom to uh, just jump on a plane and travel. Um, and then on a, on a more pithy level, I'm missing the really simple things that you used to take for granted, like people not looking freaked out in grocery stores, um, supermarkets. Uh, I'm missing the kind of more relaxed energy that was in the world when people were out and about with each other. And just the little things that you take for granted. But you know what I will say? Isn't it interesting? I don't know if you guys are having this experience too. There are a lot of things I'm not missing. And I think that's interesting. There's a certain expected busyness to our lives that I think I'm speaking to people from all walks of life, friends of mine, colleagues, people I work with, and I'm hearing the same from everybody, that there's a lot that now we have been forced to let go of certain things, you realize you, you don't really need, and you were just perhaps on the hamster wheel with them. So it's been, it's been interesting, and, and I'm sure it will continue to be in the coming weeks and months. So, okay, thanks for those questions. So this was a really cool one. I'm training to do healing. Do you think healers are needed more now than ever and will be more understood? Um, yes, to needed now more than ever. Yes, to will be more understood. No, to will be more understood. And well, and another part of the question that I'm going to answer. So I do think healers are needed more now than ever, but to me, um, that goes, that word always goes beyond wellness practitioners, people who are 
quote unquote healers for a living. So whether that's a doctor who is a healer, whether that's a nutritional medicine doctor, whether that's an intuitive coach, whether that's a meditation teacher, you know, they're all healers in slightly different forms. Um, then of course, as we all know, the minority of people perhaps who are active healers on the planet will take those roles, will have those roles as career. But we all know people in our community, in our circle, our friend circle, our family, and you're like, oh, they're the healer of the family. Or these two are the healers of the family because they're always the ones that make the calls. They're always the ones that smooth out the emotional edges in conversations. So I do think more people are becoming more naturally able as healers on the planet. And I think that the societal acceptance of things like emotional intelligence, wellness techniques, meditation, these things are becoming more normalized and more importantly, more necessary. You know, stress, anxiety, um, the things that we're facing as a planet right now, it, it leads you to need ways to center yourself, ground yourself. So I do think healers are more needed. Um, will they be more understood? I think the idea of self-care is becoming more, more collectively understood. But of course, healers will always be misunderstood by anyone who wants to misunderstand them. Um, in the same way that any type of person who goes against your own beliefs um, or challenges your beliefs or triggers you uh, can be misunderstood. It doesn't necessarily show up as a healer, but we do know that there is a lot of um, dismissal, judgment, suspicion around the psychic arts, the intuitive arts. Um, that still is kind of hardwired into the collective. So I don't think that's going to go away overnight. But I do think people are, I think this idea that we need to look after ourselves so that we can better serve our lives, our communities, the work we're doing, our families, I think that's becoming a bit more understood, a bit more commonplace. And sadly, or perhaps inevitably, it's taking the rise of stress and the rise of existential fears about our world, our planet, our systems right now, to bring that to the surface. So, and the Z's, my guides who I channel, they've always said, you know, and again, they're not alone. If you look at other prophecies, this comes up that when our world got beyond 2012, we would go through a real consciousness revolution and transformation. So to me, a healer is anybody who makes us feel better in the moment and perhaps more importantly, able to remember and re-navigate ourselves back to that feeling. So a meditation teacher who teaches you meditation helps you have the experience of meditation that makes you feel better, gives you ways in that if you then practice, you can get back there. So I think healers come in many different forms. So thank you for the question. Question number two. I feel I've stored some energy from past wounds and it feels like during this time, it is coming through my body by presenting some health challenges. I'd like to know how to move it through it or understand it better because I do know this slower pace has been a great opportunity for me to stand still and to be able to take advantage of space and time to process this. Great question and I, I know it will connect with a lot of people. So my experience and understanding of 
the way our energy works is that there are some of us who will somatize through the body. Um, and of course, that can happen to any of us at any time. So what I mean by that is, let's say you're ignoring some stress in your life. Perhaps you're in a really difficult relationship and you're not choosing to see that that relationship is difficult and isn't actually good for you. And you just choose to keep staying in it and you keep telling yourself it will change and you, you know, try and think your way through it, try and bring in the light, but you're not really paying attention to the fact that this actually just isn't a good relationship for you, that you are not capable of turning this relationship into light. It's always going to have friction. It's always going to have a certain level of pain for you. If we ignore that for long enough and our soul can't get our attention through the clues or the helpers or the people along the way who go, you know, I could see you with a, a, a slightly more optimistic person and we just ignore it and we shut it out. Sometimes the body gets our attention and we somatize the imbalanced energy that we're experiencing in our life. When I tune in on you personally, just for a moment, you know, you hold a lot of energy for a lot of people, which I think will relate to lots of people watching or listening to this show. And one of the things that is showing up for you in this time is just for you to be able to notice that there needs to be a little more emptying of yourself from everything that you're holding more regularly because it's like your system has become backed up. And it's because of the enforced stop that you are now experiencing that you're actually getting to shed and let go of a lot of the ways that you were operating in your relationships, in your sense of responsibility for others. So that can show up in all kinds of ways, family, friends, the work we do. Um, and it's a beautiful thing because you, you, know, you have a heart that's powering it. So you're doing it from a good place, but it takes energy and the human body is not just cosmic energy. It's not just universal life force. It is also density and it is also an, an electrical energy field that's in response to everyone around us. So if we're dealing with a lot of dense or heavy energy and we haven't figured out a way to hold our boundary in that or constantly clear ourselves of it, it can, it can hit you like a ton of bricks when you finally stop. It's why often we get sick when we haven't noticed that we need to stop. You know, you, you'll get some kind of virus or something will take you to bed for a few days because it's the only way that you were gonna get stopped. So for you, what comes up for me is that what you're dealing with right now is, is a rewiring of yourself and the attention that your health is asking you to give it right now is a way of you looking at how you can rewire your output when you go back into your responsibilities once the foot comes off this brake that we're on right now. Because at the moment, there's a little bit of a foot on the brake in the world. The car hasn't completely stopped, but it's crawling for many people. For some people, it's similar maybe with the work they're doing, the way they're showing up in the world. But still, the energy of everybody being paused and stopped affects everyone, even the busy people. So for you, it's something about learning to work in a different way when you, go, when you come through this, when you come through the other side of this, because your body wants you 
and your energy wants you a bit more than it's been getting you. It's not that all the things you aren't doing aren't beautiful or purposeful, but there's just, there's, there needs to be a bit more room for you in this equation. And so what you're processing with the health stuff that you've got going on right now is, is a moment for you to focus deeply in on yourself and your body. So I don't have set philosophies and I wouldn't dare to have those around health. You know, sometimes I'll hear people say, oh, why did I manifest this illness? And they'll be very hard on themselves. My philosophy is if you have something like that come out, come up in your life, don't be hard on yourself. That's not gonna help the situation. So I hope that however you're approaching this, you're able to live with it lightly and see it lightly and investigate it because my my sense of it for you is it's an opportunity for you to reset the output of your energy. And that when you return to, I won't say normal, because everything's gonna be a little different for everyone after this experience, but when you return to where you were, you might find ways to output your energy at 60% of the level that you were before, yet still your effect can be 100. That often just involves making a few adjustments, learning when to delegate, when to say no, just preserving a little more of your own vital energy. And if the structure of your life is, is really important and purposeful to you, you'll figure out ways to help that structure sustain itself. It's no different to having four kids that you're constantly running around after and looking after and you're exhausted and they're fine. There comes a point when you have to empower those kids to help you. Otherwise, you're just their servant, they're fine, you're burning out all the time. It's important when they reach an age where they can start to take some responsibility for the things that you are doing for them, that you empower them to do that and you empower yourself to step back. That's what comes to me in this for you. So I hope that helps and good luck. Okay. How do I welcome? Question three. Oh, question three of the ones that weren't personal, but anyway. How do I welcome the guidance protection of my angels, spirit guides, and put aside my ego inner voice that seems to be louder and more demanding? I think we all know that one. I hear and see things that I know is from my angels, but then my annoying inner voice overrides that with fear and doubt. Thank you for all you do and bring. Thank you. Well, here's the funny thing, you know, first things first, try not to see that voice as so annoying. It's, you know, the fear-based voice is trying to protect you. It's trying to protect you from messing up. It's trying to protect you from that time you were brave and your cousin judged you for being brave. So it's every time you start to be brave again, while that wound is still there, that memory is still there, the ego voice goes, don't do that, don't be brave. Last time that happened, everyone frowned at you and you didn't like how that felt, so let's protect you from that feeling. You know, our ego is always just trying to protect us and it's only ever working backwards. So our ego and our mind is only ever turning to history for information. Your intuition and your visionary self is leading you into the future and asking you to come towards this thing because you're gonna grow and you're gonna change. So what you've described is perfect to me because that's how it works you know we have an intuition or a feeling oh i i should change my work i should go and do something different and it feels really good when you have the vision and then the minute you start to walk towards it 
the voice is, oh, well, who are you to change your job? And what's your mom going to think about this? How are you going to explain this to your family? You know, all that stuff comes up. And so it's quite a natural response. So I wouldn't try and kill your ego voice off because that's going to be hard. I would recognize it's going to be there. I would start to strategize around it. So we were recently running a retreat um, at Asilomar, myself and Scott Sabeel, and um, Scott and a couple of other people at the retreat said that they like to give their ego voice a name, like nagging Natasha. Oh, here's nagging Natasha again, telling me that I can't do this thing. And that works for them. They give the, the negative ego voice a name, they give her a voice, they write her thoughts down. Um, for me, how I tend to work with my negative self-talk is number one, I'm now so used to, <laughs> I'm so used to that if I'm doing anything that's a bit more ambitious or a bit more outside my current comfort zone or I have no frame of historic reference for this thing I'm about to do that might be a bit bolder than anything I've ever done before, whether that's in my personal life or in my work or in a moment, um, I now know that there's going to be a voice that's going to come up and go, oh, don't know about this, a fear voice that wants me to stay small. I'm so used to that voice showing up, I'm so used to that being the pattern that I almost welcome and expect it. And it's almost a good sign that something's changing. You know, if I'm creating something and I feel slightly uncomfortable about it, it's usually because there's some growth that's going to happen, either my own or I'm feeling the energy of the growth it's going to give the people I'm creating it for, or both. So if I were you, I would recognize that the reason it's getting a bit louder and it's talking to you is that's probably the voice you've lived with for longer. The more you start to practice knowing that voice is going to come up when you move towards things, the better it's going to be for you. So it might be useful to sit and write down, what is this, what, what are you trying to protect me from? I'm trying to protect you from making a fool of yourself. I'm trying to protect you from falling flat on your face. And when you read those things, this is what I've done and this works for me, you're like, oh, I, actually, I, I don't really care about falling flat on my face. Or when did that first come along? Let me, oh, wow, yeah, when I was seven, that, that's a wound. So what we start to do is develop an awareness around that voice. If that voice is just this boogeyman in your head and it's like a, something in a horror movie, you, and you just stay away from it. You never really know why it's there, how it got there, what its origins are. But as soon as you start to unpick it a little bit, it can help. So if I were you, I would investigate what that voice is trying to protect you from. But I would recognize that the very fact that voice is coming up tells you that you're looking at an area of growth and that your angels and your guides are a part of you and so is that ego voice. And for all of us who are here on a path of integration and balance, it's learning to for me anyway, let all of it be there, but not let any particular voice stop you when you feel like you really need to move forward. And being patient, because that can take months and sometimes years. You might have a vision that you're like, this really scares me, but by 2022, I'm going to be active in this vision. So try and take the pressure off yourself, but investigate that voice, because that voice has a history. And the more you understand the history of that voice, the less it becomes a chain around your ankle. Hope that helps. Okay. Hi Lee, I started a spiritual-based business a few years ago. 
During this last 12 months, I've been feeling terrified around creating new content and putting energy into building my business further. I'm not dependent on my business to support me, but it is something I want to see flourish over time. How do I help myself to start to move out of this place and embrace the journey of creating once more? Many thanks. Mm. Why are you feeling terrified? That's what you need to get to the bottom of. I know for me, there was a point when I could feel that things around me wanted to grow. And my fear was a fear of not being able to handle um, more people. Like, what would it be like if there were more people watching my videos? Uh, how would that negatively affect my life? That was where my mind went. I didn't think about the positive. I was like, oh, don't know how I feel about that, all that stuff. So I knew what my terror was. I knew what my fear was. And I had to know what it was all along the way so that the creator in me that was very compelled to do this work and was quite unhindered, the creator aspect, that I didn't chain him up because some part of me was afraid of an unknown I couldn't possibly pre predict or know. So I would say a couple of things to you. Um, I would create those things that you feel compelled to create with full permission to never release them, to never put them into the world. Because at the moment, what's blocking your ability to create is your expectation or anticipation of what the world's reaction to those will be. And that's quite normal, by the way. I think even if you're somebody who paints for a living or is starting to do it for a living, and maybe a few people are going to see your painting, it can be hard because part of your mind is like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this when people see it. But I often find that if you can protect the creativity from being seen by the outside world, you can birth it. So it's very similar to how when a new baby is born, uh, you know, you don't normally take that baby out to the nightclub or, oh, great, the baby's three days old. Let's go to a stadium and watch a rock concert. Oh, thrash metal, brilliant. We don't tend to do that, you know? It's like, oh, hang on, this is a very delicate little creature. It has a very special frequency. It's just landed on the planet. Let's give it a chance to get used to this third dimensional crazy place and let's shield it and protect it and treat it like a vulnerable thing. And then when it's a little more robust and it's a bit more ready and we're used to the whole thing, we'll see what it's like to parent it in the outside world. So. I think the very fact you're terrified is very interesting. There's something there, there's something underneath it. But the fact you haven't just given yourself permission to not grow the, the business, to go, oh, okay, I'm not going to do this, I don't need to do this, I'm terrified, so therefore I won't. Because that's the other option. The thing I used to tell myself, and I still maintain this as true, is you can always walk away. Like if you, if you do something, and let's say you do something and it grows your business and you're like, oh God, I really don't like having a more grown business. Great, cancel the business, take down your YouTube channel or whatever and just disappear and the world will forget you. So, you know, if it's anything around your questioning how you can handle the growth of your business, the best advice I ever got from my own guides was they said, Yes, there will be some challenges that will come with the growth, but the connections, the experiences, and the growth that you will go through by surrendering to letting this grow to the size it wants to will far outweigh any of the challenges or difficulties that you personally go through. And I, I'll say that's true. 
But I think first you have to decide what's right for you. And I would be curious to see what happened if you created without the idea of an audience. If you created something, finished that creation, and then were willing to share it with a few people or a select group, because you can keep it as contained and as small as you want. And that may be the way that you want to go. So this requires some investigation, and there isn't a right or wrong answer. The right answer isn't that you should be willing to become the world's next Oprah and be known by multi-millions of people, because we're all different. We're all built for different scale. One is not better than the other. So investigate how you want to do this for yourself. And you know, hold your boundary. Just because you put work out into the world, it doesn't mean that you are beholden to others or responsible for others in a way that you might feel uncomfortable with. Be really clear about that. You know, be clear that what you're doing in the world is, is your offering. But there's also a line as to how available you then are as a person. You have to protect the introvert in yourself, I think, when you put stuff out into the world. Okay. So, as we, next question. As we transition into a new earth, when we are faced with dealing with family members or friends who may still be stuck in the 3D realm of thinking, how do we handle their low vibrational frequencies in practical ways without judging them? As we know, we may not be taking them with us. Okay. This is a really good question, and there's something in your question I want to question, because you've, you've put, as we know, we may not be taking them with us. So there's something, I wish you were here, because I would ask you, I would say, are we speaking about a specific person who you know you're not going to take with you, or are we speaking about a group and you know that some of them are going to fall away? I think one of the great things is we don't really know. Meaning, you see, you talk about people who are stuck in the 3D realm of thinking. For me, my hardest thing is when people are stuck in the 3D realm of feeling. So I've said this before, and so some of you may have heard me say this. Um, to me, a spiritual friend is not someone who knows anything about spirituality. It's someone who behaves in ways that are kind, you know, generally friendly, generally community-oriented, generally care about life. And, you know, not, not everybody likes other humans. You know, you might care about animals. And it's clear that all your energy and your love goes into animals. To me, that's a spiritual, that's a human who is living with spirit open. Um, people who are judgmental, aggressive, angry, carrying around their wounds, and that's their dominant, because any of us can be wounded or judgmental or angry in a moment. But if, if, if your dominant display is, is quite a closed energy field, um, I personally find that very hard to be around, even if that person tells me they have all this spiritual knowledge. And I have met people like that, but equally I've met people who are anti the idea of spirituality or religion, and they're like, oh, I think it's all nonsense. I don't believe in the past life. I don't believe in intuition. But they're really nice, like they're, they're kind and they're loving. So I think that sometimes we have to be careful of assuming that the concepts and beliefs that might be opening in us are necessary in the people that we're around. Because we all think and slightly see and feel things differently. So I've experienced that I'm closer now to some of the people in my life than I was when I was going through a big awakening that would mark me out as quite different from them because I've grounded and I've integrated and I know, 
I know how to organize my feelings, my thoughts. I know, I know how to be a bit more in it, but that wasn't always the case for me. So I think there will be some of those 3D people that you'll be surprised when you, when you land more fully in yourself and through this awakening, you, you'll probably be a bit closer to those people because you'll be able to be more who you are without necessarily having to whack them over the head with everything you think or, or feel. But conversely, and this is the other side of your question that I want to address, you might be leaving some of these people behind. And the answer in both of these cases is to be yourself as much as possible. So you might have really spiritual beliefs that are very different to your friend, but you and that friend might be really aligned in kindness. You, you both might like to really help people and that's one of the connection points you have as friends. So she thinks you're crazy with all this talk of aliens and angels and that bothers you a bit. So you say to her, you know, I really love you and we're, you know, we're, we, we connect. It really bothers me when you're judgmental to me about angels and aliens, because I really believe that. Are you able to put aside mocking me and just, we won't talk about that stuff so that we can have the friendship that we do have? And she might go, oh, I didn't even, I, well, I didn't even realize. I, I'm not really mocking you. It's just, well, it's ridiculous, isn't it? And you say, well, it isn't to me actually. So every time you say that or judge it, it actually just hurts a bit because it feels like you're kind of bashing me. Are you able to not do that anymore so that we can have the friendship that we can have? Oh, oh, okay. And you never know. It might just be that you need to essentially retrain yourself as to how you show up and how you speak, which also retrains her around what your boundary is. Um, and you might be surprised. But equally, in your question, there is a, a clear knowing that you need to make some changes in your life. And I think we often know the people in our life that we're struggling with. And sometimes we want to, I say, try and love, our, love and light our way out of it. You know, well, if I just surround them in a bubble of white light, or if I, if I just try a bit harder, or if I... And I think if you're having to negotiate only with yourself to improve a relationship dynamic, and, and things that you're saying, that you're sharing, aren't necessarily being received or improving the relationship, then Houston, we have a problem. You know, it's kind of usually those are the people that for some reason, it's either because they remind us of a family member that we've still got some unresolved stuff with, or there's some part of our people pleasing that they're the last aspect of that we're still working through. It's okay that we, that we may not be in such close contact with them. So I think there's two sides to your question. I think there's some people that their 3D aspects, if you like the, the, the language you've used, won't be a problem to us when we know who we are, when we know how to be compassionate. And when we, we're like, oh, they're, they're a bit more 3D than I am in that area. But I can also see that I'm a bit annoying to them in a way because I'm quite an impatient person and they're quite patient. So I think it, it can go both ways. And I, I hope that helps shed some light. Okay, next question. I love this question, and I think many of you <laughs> who are in this quarantine period will relate. I don't feel like joining my friends in group Zoom calls right now. I feel bad saying no to my friends, but I really can't handle that kind of social interaction right now. 
How do I say no without feeling guilty about disappointing them? Oh, this is so good. So firstly, let's just talk about the Zoom calls. I don't know about you, but you know, we, me and a few team members were saying this because our work has been virtual for a long time. You know, we, we use Zoom a lot. We, we have video meetings. And so for me, it was interesting. Certain friends were like, oh, should we do a Zoom? You know, it's like a novelty for a lot of people. Whereas for the rest of us, it's like, at the end of the day, I don't normally want to get on Zoom because, you know, we've had to use it in the day. So I, I totally get that. And I've met many friends who, who Zoomed out. Um, but I think what's most key in your question, and that's what's so beautiful about it, so thank you for sharing it, is you say, I feel bad saying no to my friends, but I really can't handle that kind of social interaction right now. So you either choose your friend's desires or you choose your truth, which is I can't handle that kind of social interaction right now. So you then say, how do I say no without feeling guilty about disappointing them? So as a recovering people pleaser, and still have moments of it, but my God, I'm so much better than I used to be um, years and years ago. I don't think you can say no without feeling guilty about disappointing them. I think that's gonna be part of the process. You know, I think you being willing to feel some guilt about saying no, but not living with the guilt, like working with this, why do I feel so guilty, you know? And there are many reasons that this comes up for us. Were we in a family dynamic where pleasing or soothing either your volatile parents or your sibling that kind of was demanding of you and bullying of you, you know, where do we develop these ways of being that want to bring harmony to others at the detriment of ourself? So it's like, oh, I'll try and harmonize this person even though I'm exhausted. Usually we've learned that because it's safety. It's like, oh, I'm safer if I harmonize this person. So, you know, it's, it's usually the case that all people pleasers have some level of introversion. I've never met uh, a people pleaser that is just a pure extrovert. I've, I've always, all the people pleasers I've met and worked with, and um, myself included, you know, you usually, you might be half extrovert, half introvert, but it's the introvert that we deny when we choose to people please because we yank on our extrovert energy to try and give this other person what they want, even though our introvert's going, I, uh, please, I just, I just, uh, I just, I've had enough of the world and I just, just give me a few hours. And the more we ignore that introvert voice, like we said at the beginning of this episode, we can get sick or we can get depressed or we can start to feel powerless over our own life and think, oh, why am I even here? You know, those things erode us eventually. So I don't think you can say no right now without feeling guilty because you've told us that's what's coming up for you. But you can't let your fear of feeling guilty stop you changing this pattern because that might just be one of the things that you have to deal with as you move through this idea that you're wrong to say no to people. The thing I would like you to consider, and this helped me, is that if your body and your soul are saying no, to someone who wants you to say yes to something, think about how out of touch that person is energetically 
if they want to force you into it. What I mean by that is someone might be, let's say you've got a fairly unconscious friend, you know, they don't really feel much, they're not very sensitive to energy maybe, they're not much of a, an empath if you like, they're, you know, a bit like, oh, I'm just going along, oh yeah. If they say to you, come on, let's go to this party, and you're like, uh, no, I, I don't want to go to this party, you're doing them a favour too, because your clear no is I'm not a match for what you want me to match up with right now. And it might be that they're just an unconscious extrovert and they're just looking for activity and busyness and that doesn't feel right to you. Or it might be that they too, there's something about them going with you or you're not the right person to go with them that they haven't worked out yet. And you're gonna give them the gift of saying, no, I, I can't do that tonight because then you free them up and they will go and find what they need. And I, I think all of us do this, like no matter how conscious or awake you are, we can all get in our pattern or our slightly switched off mode and it, it takes practice and awareness to recognize you're in that mode. But I think it's really important, especially at these times, that we all learn to be as honest with each other as we can because I do believe it's an abundant universe and that if you can't give someone what they want and they really need it, they'll go and find it somewhere else. And they'll find it from a person for whom it's gonna be good for them to give it. They'll find it from a person who they're like, oh yeah, I would love to come to that party with you. And they'll have so much more fun with that person who's willing. So one of the things I learned is it was hard for me to say no for a long period of time, but I learned to practice it where and when I was able to. And now it's not so hard. It's like you get used to it. and I. I don't feel guilty. I've had some moments recently, interestingly, with my family stuff, but family is always, it's not because my family are making me feel guilty, it's just feeling so far away and feeling so powerless to, you know, help our father right now. So, it, but that's, you know, that's a tiny thing. I mean, I go back 20 years and I could have felt guilty about anything and talked myself out of doing something because of how I assumed it might affect someone else. We don't really know. All we really know is ourselves and our yes. Are we a yes or are we a no? And the more we learn to give an authentic yes and no from who we are, the more we free everyone else up to find the energy they need, go the way they need to go. So I hope that helps. Be willing to feel the burn of feeling guilty that you said no. It will get easier. Ask yourself, who, who are you guilty about? Like, where did this start? When did you think that you weren't allowed to say no? Who didn't let you do what you wanted? Be good to investigate some of the history of this as well. Write a few things down, because it will help you see where some of the patterning began. And that awareness of where the patterning began can be very supportive to our mind when it kicks off, when we're breaking a pattern and changing a pattern. So don't do those Zoom calls. It will do you good. And here's the good news. Your friends who are desperate to call people on Zoom, they'll find other people. But they won't find those people if you begrudgingly say yes. You'll suffer and they'll get half the energy from you that they might get from someone else who's willing. Who knows, they might find meditation because no one's Zooming with them and that might be great for them. Okay, next question. In regard to what you share, Lee, about hiring staff, when the need arises but you just barely break even, what would be creative ways to get help and collaboration? 
I feel like I'm just getting more tasks, but less work done and less clients, not being able to focus on my own work. But I can't afford to pay others, and so I have done a few trades, which gives me more jobs, and those people rarely stay long. I'd also love it if you shared a little about what tasks, positions your team members have. It's a really good question. And I, you know, I, I think the first and foremost thing is when it comes to hiring people, like you've said, trades or even sometimes working with volunteers can be tricky because, like you said, it creates more jobs or it creates expectations uh, of, of, of certain needs or, and again, I mean, there have been some people I've, I've worked with in, in voluntary positions, but in very small and segmented ways where it's gone really well. But for me personally, um, the energy exchange of finance just seemed like the, the most balanced transaction for me. You know, I've, I've had jobs since I was like 11 years old. And so I've, I've, I, I kind of, for me, it was really important, especially as I was generating money for, at the beginning of my work, my sessions, my one-on-one -on -one sessions with people was really the bedrock of what I did and it was how I started. So it was a logical thing for me that as there started to be a bit of extra money each month, I could start to invite people to help me with things like customer service emails or things that were taking up more time or energy and that I was able to use that money to pay someone else to do this job, while over here on the right, I could do this job that would bring in enough money to cover that person as well as me. So I think the first thing you really need to identify is where is the value of what you're doing when it comes to finance? You know, what, what is it that is actually helping your business to generate money? Because your business might be very uh, generous. It might give away loads of free content. That might be part of your mission statement, which I think is wonderful. But there is going to need to be an element or some element that if you want to grow a team and you want to do it with finance, there is going to need to be an element of money coming in. And you're going to have to identify, okay, what's the area that I can generate enough revenue that seems to be popular, that seems to have value, that seems to be working, that I can have excess finance to then be able to pay the right people to do certain tasks for me. I think it's, it's easy when you're new to hiring people to have the best hopes in the world for somebody or to perhaps sometimes overload them with too many things. And it, in my experience, it's really clever to just go, okay, what's the thing that grates on me the most? What's the thing that I don't think is my natural ability? What's the job I don't like doing? What's the job that's taking me away? And go, okay, this is the job I need to hire out first. But equally, where's the balance point? If you're gonna hire that out and put money behind that and find the right person, what over on the left is generating? So it's a tricky thing. You don't want to overinvest in a team in the hope that that will generate more money because I've seen that not work either. So first of all, you have to have something that is generating revenue. Then you have to ascertain, okay, how much of this revenue do I need for my rent and my bills? And how much am I gonna pour into investment? And then we come to the staff member. What are the three skills I need this person to have? Have a trial period. Work for, say, I'd love to try for three months. Can we see how for two months or, and see how it goes? Check we're both a fit for each other. And 
you might be grateful that they're doing some of those tasks, but it's also going to be important for you to be satisfied with the level of their skill at those tasks and also their energy. Like, do they like doing this job? Or are they just doing you a favor or they're just doing this for money and that energy is, is there? That's going to make you a little uncertain about where you can go. So it's quite a specific process, especially when you're new to hiring. And the risk of trades is exactly what you said. You're trading for skills, but then you have to give more energy to those people. So you've asked about my team, you know, how it worked for me was, um, like I said, when I had enough extra money, I was able to improve the customer service experience. Anna came on board and Marty came on board and they were both great at what they did back in 2011. And it wasn't just that they freed up my time, they added value to the company because the way they interacted with people or the ideas they might have brought to the table that improved the company that was serving people was what I was really after. So that's how I work now. We're a team, we're a team of 11 right now, including me, and everybody's ideas are welcome. At the end of the day, the best idea for the people that we serve and for the business side of what we do, which supports how we serve everyone, the best idea will win out. But everyone is welcome to put their ideas in and there's no one on my team that isn't bringing a skill set that some other member doesn't have or a quality that some other member, sorry, that some other member does have. Like everyone on the team has something a little bit special that's very them, whether it's in the way that they deal with people or whether it's in what they do, but they all wear many hats. And I think that works well for me because I'm used to wearing many hats. So you're gonna to want to hire people that you feel have the same values as you, not just the skill sets you need, but for me, I have a saying in the company and it's talent is everywhere, attitude is gold. I am not dazzled by talent, I never have been. I've, I've met talented people all my life and I love talent, but I kind of expect talent. Like to me, I'm like, yeah, everybody's talented, everybody has a gift. So I'm never seduced by someone's talent, but I can be really seduced by their attitude. <laughs> like for me, it's like there are talented people everywhere. There's no excuse for a bad attitude. And either a bad attitude or an attitude that is troubled can bring a company down and it can bring relationship dynamics down. And I've, I've learned that the hard way too. And I'm sure at certain times in jobs I had years ago, I wasn't the right fit for that company or that group too. So I think it's really important to hire people that share your values, share your intentions, but that have skills that can add to what you're doing and that can bring something else to the table. So in your case, I think the most important things you could work on are, where do I generate the money in the business? And how can I figure that piece out? Maybe I have to give myself to that fully for a year. Where is what I do generating value for others that they are willing to give money in exchange for? And then when you've got that figured out, and you start to earn a bit more than you need for your rent, your food, your bills. That's how it was for me. It's like, oh, I've got this extra bit of money. Now I can invest in the company. And that's how I still do it. So I hope that helps. It's a big topic area. But you, if you, if you resonate with this, anyone listening or watching, you can check out the podcast episode, How to Hire and Build a Great Team, where I go into a bit more detail. And I go deeply into it in my Own Your Value course. 
Okay, next question. April 22nd is my birthday, so I see this is a sign that you are filming that day. Happy birthday! It is April the 22nd, so from your birthday day, happy birthday. My question is, how and when did you start your business and how do you hold strong moving through your fears, self-doubt of yourself and your abilities to create what you have today, as that is what I'm going through now? Thank you. One word comes to me, you know, and it's support. It's the support that I have had from all of those of you who have been grateful for the work that I've done, have expressed to me that something that I put out into the world 10 years ago or now helped you or made a key change for you. The support of the team I work with who help, you know, we kind of help each other and check in with each other. The support of my husband, Stephen, the support of my family, the support of friends. So external support and then internal support. Figuring out that, you know, you say self-doubt, your fears. Yeah, I mean, like I've had to, like everyone, I think, figure out what those aspects of me are and how I need to show up when they show up so as to not stop myself from doing things. But I would say figure out how to support yourself, figure out how to be supported by others. So I've always hired coaches or you know, a therapist at one point or people that can help me to help myself get better. Um, but also I would say it just takes time. Uh, a friend reflected to me today who I knew six years ago. She said, wow, should I've, I've just been watching your videos lately. And she said, it's just extraordinary to see where you are now. And I remembered five years ago and I was like, oh yeah, you know, that, that's true. It has grown a lot. But honestly, for me, I just keep my focus on the next day. I don't think about the size of things. I just, what's the next thing I have to do? So give yourself time, but figure out what you need to support yourself and everything you're doing in order that this can work. I hope that helps and thank you for your question. So we're coming to our last question and I, I have to acknowledge these beautiful roses. Wendy, who's the co-producer of the show, uh, brought these roses in today. She is sitting many feet away from me over there. Um, but yes, they are from her garden. And I just saw them here in the reflection on the monitor and I thought I must just acknowledge. So thank you, Wendy, who's over there now. Okay, cool. Last question. During this period of relative isolation from external pressures of daily life, I have begun to find peace. Ah, that's good. It has enabled me to open my heart, my priorities, and go within like never before. How do I keep this newfound state going when life returns to quote unquote normal? Well, uh, because you like it. <laughs> so because you like this feeling and there's a newness to it, but you're also getting used to it, you won't stray too far from it. And when you do, you'll really know about it and you'll find ways to get yourself back there. I think that's the beauty of self-care tools that any of us develop, because we're all a little different. For somebody, self-care is going for a really vigorous run. For another person, self-care is sitting quietly listening to classical music. And for most of us, there are many things that we do for self-care. It's not just one thing, it might be a range of things. So I think for you, what you might want to do is just jot down what are the five things you don't miss about 
the old ways before this quarantine experience that many of us are in and have ex been experiencing came along. So what are the top five things that you don't miss? And it might be that when you write down those five things, I don't miss being out in the world as many days a week as I used to be. I don't miss the responsibility I used to feel around X, Y, or Z. You might notice of those five things that you write down, two or three of them are quite actionable. So if the first thing was, I don't miss being out in the world as much as I used to be, that's going to be quite actionable for you. It's going to be a, a reminder that you write, stick on a piece of paper, I don't have to go into the outside world as much as I think I do. And then when things return to, as you say, normal, you'll see that piece of paper and you'll slightly repattern the way you're living your life. And you'll go, yeah, actually, I went out three days this week instead of the five that I used to. What are other ways that I can simplify? So I think for all of us, my feeling is, or for a lot of us, I'll say, there are going to be things we will take from this time that we will feel very differently about. I know for me, one of the things I realized that I had become a bit accustomed to was frequency in travel. I love doing my work and meeting you guys live, you know, out, out in the room. Um, but I recognized perhaps the travel schedule had been a bit heavier than is ideal for me. So that's going to be one of the things I take forward. It doesn't mean I don't want to come out and do live events, uh, but it does mean I'm going to maybe think differently about the way we structure them and the frequency. So I think I'm not alone in that. I think everybody is having their own little moment of, oh, there are some things I don't like about this time, but there are some things that I'm learning are really good for me. So thank you so much for tuning in to this show and all of the shows. It has been really fun to uh, talk to you guys this way. And I appreciate all of the ratings and reviews that you have been giving the show on Apple Podcasts and the various platforms. That really helps other people find us. So if you do enjoy the Impact the World show, please do leave a review or share it with somebody um, because we, we really curate this show to hopefully be of service to anybody who is out there in the world looking to impact their own life and the world in a different way. And we have some awesome shows coming up, so we hope you'll stay tuned for those. We release a brand new show every single Monday. And wherever you are in the world, whatever you're doing, I hope that you are able to look after yourself, your loved ones, and your soul in whatever way you feel you need to right now. Big love. Take care, everyone. You have been listening to Impact the World. For more of my work, please visit leeharrisenergy.com.